Well, good morning. Let me have my welcome to uh, Nick's. My name is Ben. Uh, it's as always a great um, privilege and pleasure to speak to you all here. You may have noticed from the lack of uh, usual Northern Irish accent from the front that Ruben's away. And so we're going to be taking a, a short break from our current series in Luke and instead looking together at the book of Jonah, which I'm really, really excited about. The plan is for this to be a six-part series, which we'll return to periodically over the next few months. And I'm excited to see what God has to say to us in this book. And Jonah's a familiar story to a lot of us, but it's also a deeply strange story filled with puzzles and paradoxes. If you want for Hollywood blockbusters, then you're going to love it. Um, it's got a huge epic sea storms, man-eating fish, strange plants, an enemy city fixed on war, completely disarmed by one man. Uh, one thing we won't find in the book of Jonah is romance. Uh, and that's because Jonah is probably the most unbearably grumpy man in all of human history. And whilst the dating game may have changed a little bit in 3,000 years, smelling of fish and having tantrums has never really been a thing that women have gone for. Uh, you'll pick this up as we go through. The sailors throw Jonah overboard. The, uh, the fish spits him out. Uh, the plant withers in his company. And when you're bad company for a plant, you need an intervention, which is, incidentally is exactly where we end up at the end of the book. Jonah gets an intervention from God. And a message from Jonah is simply this. Grace. God's gift of grace to all people. There are no good guys in a book, just gambling sailors, war criminals, and a selfish prophet. And yet God shows all of them his grace. So we've called this series Grace Out of the Blue, which I think works on a beautiful number of levels. I hope you can tell I'm excited to preach on this. Um, we're going to need God's help to understand it. Let's, let's pray together. Father, please uh, help us to understand this message from Jonah. And please teach us about your grace, we pray. Amen. And we'll do turn in your Bibles to Job Jonah. You'll find it on page 774. Uh, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And this, this sermon is going to work just as sort of an introduction to the book as a whole. We're just going to be reading the first three verses. So right from the start of the book, Jonah, page 774, chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Um, I wonder, let me start with a question. What do you think God thinks right now about ISIS? Their crimes are enormous. Their crimes are hideous. They have brutally and unapologetically murdered thousands of people with smiles on their faces. They have killed frightened children. They have beheaded women. They have crucified Christians. What do you think God thinks of them? Well, if you turn the clock back 3,000 years in Iraq, um, there was a great city called Nineveh. This is the one that we've just read about in the passage. And Nineveh was a, a city guilty of war crimes very similar to modern-day ISIS. Hear this, they killed children, they beheaded women, and they hunted down God's people. Nineveh were despised, hated, and perhaps above all, feared. This sounds familiar. And when it gets stranger, for those of you who follow the news, uh, you will uh, know that ISIS have literally this month just moved up north in Iraq and taken hold of the ancient city of Nineveh. 
They've been destroying relics from the 8th century, which is exactly the pinpoint time of Jonah. They even destroyed the tomb of Jonah very recently. And so all this to say, we read this story in the Bible, which may just seem you know, so old, like a dusty old story from 3,000 years ago. And yet we come forward to today, and Nineveh is currently occupied by a murderous, feared, and evil people. And so I hope we can feel the weight of this when God says to Jonah... I need you to go and preach to Nineveh. For verse 2, their evil has come up before me. And verse 3, Jonah runs. I've got three headings to my uh, talk this morning. Number one, the runaway prophet. Number two, the runaway problem. And number three, the runaway success of God's grace. Let's look at this, this first topic together, the runaway prophet. Um, Jonah gets told to go somewhere. The go command is pretty common in the Bible. God tells people to go places. He tells Moses to go to Egypt. He tells Joshua to go to the promised land. Incidentally, whenever God tells people, uh, talks to people in the Old Testament, uh, that was a a more normal thing then because that was how God revealed himself to people. That's not what we expect to be the norm today because God says he has fully revealed himself now in Jesus. So we look to Jesus to hear from God. So Hebrews 1 verse 1 says this, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So we we look to Jesus to hear from God, and yet even we have a go command. Jesus says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. God is all about telling people to go. He tells Jonah to go. He loves going. Go is two-thirds of God's name. Uh, He is a big fan of this idea. Uh, But what separates Jonah from everybody else is that God says go and Jonah says no. Well, why does he do that? Why does Jonah say no? Well, let me paint you a picture so we can understand this runaway prophet. See, back in those days, there was a huge clash between these two great cities. So there was a clash between Israel, where Jonah lived, and Assyria, of which Nineveh was soon to be the capital city. The two nations absolutely hated each other. Uh, It was political. It was personal. They'd clashed a number of times before in the past, and people had died. However, Jonah was currently living in a time where Israel was pretty quiet. It was healing. It was experiencing relative peace and blessing. They had their spiritual problems, But things were prosperous. The kingdom was growing. But all the while, brewing in the east, Nineveh was also growing. Stories were flooding in of their huge growth, their brutality, their cruelty in war. Uh, Nineveh was actually, incidentally, one of the biggest cities in the world at one point. Jonah 3 tells us it took three days to walk across it at that point. People were terrified of this rapid growth of such an evil place. No doubt Israel's army would have been gathering together all their strongest, their best, their toughest men, just in case uh, Nineveh ever launched an attack on them. And in that day, God comes to Israel and says, how about this for a military plan? Send your vicar to them. (laughs) There's all these tough guys there. They're just looking at Jonah. He's this weedy guy wearing a robe. They say, you're sending that guy? This must have been a laughable thought, right? I mean, this is a bit of like a David and Goliath situation, only there's one David against a city worth of Goliaths. I think if we're honest, like you would have run away. Like, I would have run away, right? Jonah pulls off his robes, runs to Joppa to get on a boat to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, for those of you who don't know, 
um, where that is, uh, other than sounding a bit like a holiday destination for Sean Connery. Um, I struggled to read that three times. It, the, the reading would have been great, read by him this morning. Jonah Roche to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Tarshish was about 2,500 miles uh, west of Israel, whereas Nineveh was just 500 miles east. So Jonah tries to get as far away as he possibly could uh, by, by traveling all the way across Africa, across Europe to Tarshish, which is uh, modern-day Gibraltar or Spain. It's about as far away as you can get before you hit the Atlantic. You see, the point is when, when it says that Jonah ran from the Lord, he wasn't trying to escape. He knew that God was everywhere. He was Israel's prophet. He knew that he wasn't running from the Lord to hide from him. He was trying to run from Project Nineveh. He was running as far away from what God wanted him to do as he could. And there's a bunch of reasons that we might kind of think, well, that that seems normal. Here's a few reasons why he might have run. Number one, fear. None of us are going to blame him for that. The whole thing sounds like a death mission. Go to your worst enemy, stand in the middle of the city, put your sandwich board on and tell them they're all going to hell. That's a bold move. It would have been kind of normal to think that Jonah might have been afraid. Number two, discomfort. Jonah had a good thing going on in Israel. You know, things were peaceful right now. His life was just about making sense. He had a good thing. You know, he was paying the last payments on his house. He decorated, suddenly go on some perilous and tough trek. No thanks. Maybe Jonah just wanted the comfort. But actually, Jonah tells us the reason he fled, and it's not what we'd expect. Jonah 4, verse 2 If you want to look at it, he says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Hang on, let reread that. I knew you were a gracious God abounding in love, relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would love them. When I was in junior school, there was this bully in my class. And um, one day we got into a fight and he threw a rock at me. Um, this is a true story. Um, I kind of like, he called my name. I turned around, I'm quite proud of this moment. I kind of turned around and like swatted the rock out of the air before it hit me in the face. But it, it cut my hand open. I've still got the scar on my hand to this day. Uh, anyway, I go home that day. Matron, like, you know, bandaged me up. I go home that day. I tell my mum the whole story. And she says, well, you need to go and make up with that boy tomorrow. And I'm thinking, is she, does she not listen to the story with the rock guy? That guy's an idiot. But anyway, you know, I kind of, I go to school the next day. I make up with this kid, you know. Make up, make up, never, never break up. And at the end of the day, uh, I see my mum and his mum talking at the school gate. And it turns out that my mum's invited this kid over for tea at our place. This is what kind of woman my mum was. And, and, and I, like, I was like, this is ridiculous. First he throws a rock at me and now he gets a free meal out of it. He's coming over to my house playing on my Mega Drive, using up my felt-tip pens, eating my chicken nuggets. Like, this is ridiculous. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day, and that was, that there was this. Mum could not be trusted because she was too nice. From that day on, what happened on the playground stayed on the playground as far as I was concerned. Um, and, you know, this is, this is a ridiculous story, but it's kind of, kind of similar to what's happening in the story here. Jonah doesn't trust God because he's too nice. 
Jonah knows if he goes and talks to Nineveh, God will show kindness and love and grace to them because that's what God does. God is merciful. For those of you who don't know what happens in the story, uh, Jonah runs, but through a, a series of miracles, God brings him back anyway to Nineveh. He preaches and the entire city is converted. Get this, the entire city puts down their weapons and prays. And people say the fish is the miracle in the book of Jonah, and they need to behave themselves. An entire city bent on war and killing people puts down their weapons and goes to church. And Jonah is furious because he never wanted these people to be saved. How dare you, God? How dare you save those kind of people? You see, the reason Jonah fled wasn't primarily fear or discomfort. It was prejudice. It was hatred. It was, it was, it was arrogance that he somehow deserved God and those people didn't. I wonder if that reminds you of anybody in the New Testament. It strikes me that Jonah is very similar to the older brother in the prodigal son, It's the exact same story. Familiar with that story that Jesus tells the younger brother, Nineveh, goes and squanders his life with a moral living whilst the older brother, Israel, Jonah, behaves and just sits around all day thinking about how superior he is. And when that no good brother comes home, the father shows him love, forgives him, and the older brother is furious. Just as the older brother at the end of the story is sat sulking outside the house, at the end of the book of Jonah, we see Jonah sulking outside Nineveh. How could you save those people, those awful, awful people? And this is the message that he has to hear and we have to hear this morning. If grace is to be grace, then nobody deserves it any more than anybody else. Let me repeat that. If grace is to be grace, then nobody deserves it any more than anybody else. This leads me to our our second point, the runaway problem. Grace is perhaps the most central theme in the whole Bible and yet one of the most commonly misunderstood. You see, for so many outside the church, they think that Christianity is just about right and wrong you know, do good and you'll get to God. You know, do, do, sorry, do right, you'll get to God. Do wrong and you won't. It's entirely about us and what we do. And this isn't surprising because this is the world we live in, right? We reap what we sow. If we do good, we get a reward. If we, you know, and we, we, we're tempted to project this then onto religion. So all the man-made religions in the world today operate like this. Do good and God will like you. He will reward you. And this is where the Christian faith is just so radical, so wonderful that God gives us heaven as a gift. And we can't comprehend this. You know, we think, well, what have I done to deserve this? This is the whole point. We have done nothing. We have done nothing to deserve this. God is giving his love and his grace to us. This is what fathers do. They love us unconditionally. If we ever start thinking that we can earn love, that we can earn God that we can earn heaven. And we've misunderstood the very heart of God. What do we even think the price tag is on, is on heaven anyway, that we could earn it with just a few good deeds? Surely, if heaven is as good as, as we, we're told it is, then it's worth so much more than that. There's no way we could ever earn it. 
But God wants to give it to us. This is astonishing grace. And if grace is to be grace and not a pay slip, then nobody deserves it any more than anybody else. And I think it's so easy for us to look down on Jonah for misunderstanding this when we read it. You know, 90% of German, Jonah you know, sermons just say, oh, Jonah's an idiot, he's such a, such a stupid guy. It's easy to look down on him. But if we're honest, there's a whole host of ways that we've not yet grasped this grace. Jonah's context meant that he hated these enemies and didn't want them saved. You know, we might have different reasons, but just like Jonah, we run away from this command to go and make disciples all the time. It's just you realize it's possible for us to be running without actually running, right? Like a lot of us haven't even stood up to go yet. See, Jonah is not the example of a substandard believer. He's the example of a human being like you and me. And I want to show us four ways that we can misunderstand grace. Four ways we can misunderstand grace. Number one, we can be selfish with grace. Um, I think a lot of us can attest to when we're um, kids, you know, you get given uh, something awesome like whatever, a bag of sweets, and you're told to share it. And, you know, you can, you can see the look on kids' faces when you do something like this. You know, the first thought that comes into their head is, no, 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 I should really, I should really eat these all myself. You know, like, you, don't, you have to teach kids to share. You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. That part comes natural. And don't fool yourself to thinking that we ever really grow out of that. You know, you find some cool thing, some cool place. You find some way to make easy money. You don't go and tell other people that straight away because it could all be yours. It could be your thing, right? That could be the thing that gives you the edge. And similarly, you know, we can be selfish with God's grace. We're given this gift of the gospel, and rather than share it, we just keep it tucked away like it's our thing. And this probably isn't, you know, we're not going to admit that this is because we hate other people like Jonah. But I think if we search our hearts, we have to face this fact that maybe we just don't care about people as much as we think we do. You see, the gospel is the ultimate gift because it never runs out, Right? God gives us something that we can just share and share and share and share, and we've still got a full portion. Remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000? Disciples just go around, they give all the bread and the fish to everybody there, and at the end there's 12 full baskets left for them. The gospel never runs out. And yet we don't share it because, well, once we've sorted ourselves, we kind of just stop caring. We can be selfish with grace. Number two, we can be faithless with grace. One thing we need to know about grace in the story of Jonah uh, is that it's powerful. It changes lives. Jonah isn't actually a man of small faith. We see in 4 verse 2 that Jonah knew that God had the power to change the entire city of Nineveh. You know, Jonah's the kind of guy who comes to the prayer meeting and prays huge prayers, right? He's the kind of guy who comes and he says, God, you can save every single person in Shepherd's Bush tomorrow if you wanted to. And he genuinely believes it. Can we honestly say that we have that sort of faith? You see, I think the problem for a lot of us is we just don't think God can or will ever do this stuff anymore. You know, we, we don't bother telling people about Jesus because let's face the facts. Nobody's ever going to come to faith anyway. You know, we think my friends are too far gone. They're the exception. You know, they've, they've got their own thing, their own religion. They're never, ever going to come to faith, so why bother? How many times have you thought that, I wonder? 
See, we can run away from God's command to go just by being faithless. And this is the one time probably in the history of Jonah sermons where Jonah is actually the example to us. We need to have faith that God can do what he says he's going to do. We can be selfish with grace. We can be faithless with grace. And number three, we can be indifferent to grace. Hear me say this. Some of us have simply forgotten how incredible grace is. We've lost that spark that we had when we first understood that God created me for a relationship with him. And even though I I rebel, he reached down and offered me a second chance. He offered me forgiveness and life. We no longer need to fear him as our enemy. Yet we come to him as our father. Some of us have just forgotten and grown cold to this. The reason we don't go and share this message is because, well, we've got like 20 other things that get us more excited. Jesus is way down the list. You know, Monday morning, we're like, my days, did you see the football on Thursday? Five nil? Five nil. Oh, how was your weekend? Oh, the Great British Bake Off was insane. Oh, man. oh I had a lovely bike ride, yeah. Some good DIY. It was just a yeah, really quaint, lovely weekend. How was church? Oh, yeah, it was all right, but the walking dead is getting mental. <laughs> mental. Oh, can't wait. I cannot wait. Did you see Carlton doing that dance on the dance show? Do you know what I mean? There's like, there's like 50 things that we arrive at we're more, ex- we allow ourselves to get more excited about. And I'm not saying that we can't talk about trivial things, right? We don't, like, these are fun things to talk about, but everyone around us has one life to live. Do we honestly want people just dropping off with just a head full of celebrity gossip? Don't get indifferent to how much people need to hear grace. Allow yourself to get excited and tell people this. Number one, we can't be selfish because it's free and it never runs out. Number two, we can't be faithless because it's powerful. Number three, we can't be indifferent because it's the most important thing everyone needs to hear. And finally, we move on to what was Jonah's biggest problem. Number four, we can be prejudiced with grace. Now, this one's hard because I don't think a lot of us you know, feel prejudice. Like, a lot of us actually think that we'd be really pumped. Like, we'd be excited if we heard that a member of ISIS had come to faith. If we heard that Hitler converted on his deathbed or some hardened criminal had come to faith in prison. We love that stuff because it makes grace look powerful. It feels like a real victory for Christianity. And from a comfortable distance, these stories sound great. But I need you to imagine for a minute that that crime was committed against you. Imagine you're in Iraq right now. I don't want to get too vivid, but are we so sure we'd be celebrating if God saved somebody who had destroyed our family? You know, by God's grace, many Christians have managed to forgive people who have done hideous crimes against them. But let's not pretend that that's easy. Let's not be blasé. When Jesus says, love your enemies, that's not a walk in the park. And some of us today are harboring anger against certain countries, groups, people, family members. And that puts us in a very dangerous place with grace. Now, don't mishear me. God is angry at evil as well. He gets you. He gets us. And he has promised to come and judge the evil in this world and end it. 
But Ezekiel 18, 23, God says this, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? We cannot let our anger turn into wishing people would miss out on grace. Once we realize that all we have is grace and the only reason we are in is because of grace, then we are no different to anybody else. This should break us. We can never hold on to grace like it is our thing, like we have some divine right to it that others don't. And we hate this because it calls our supremacy into question. You know, we think, how then am I better? And so many of us evangelicals carry this kind of dark prosperity gospel around in our hearts that actually, you know, we're the good ones and we deserve God somehow. But if grace is grace, then murderers, warlords, pedophiles, sex offenders, thieves, traitors come to grace the same way that we do. Washed white as snow. No condemnation. No separation. Forgiven. An eternity of joy and bliss. Same love, same status, same reward. Are we okay with that? Do we get that? See, this is the power of the gospel. It extends to everybody. The gospel extends to everybody. Are you saying that bad people go to heaven? Yes. Only bad people go to heaven. We need to get this into our heads. You see, we're so programmed to thinking that, you know, <laughs> that we're the good guys. You know, we're trained to think that, 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 that in church we're the good guys and we get heaven because we're good. Jonah thought he deserved God because he was a member of God's people, the good guys, and he looked out in horror that God would save the bad guys. But God is gracious to all people. Merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, God tells us to go to the criminals, the worst, the vile, the lost. He says, let me show you my power. Let me show you what I can do. I can take the worst and change them into sons and daughters loved forever. And this moves us on to the third point. Briefly, number three, the runaway success of God's grace. See, the story of Jonah teaches us one thing is that nothing can stop God's plan of getting grace to people who need it. Think of grace as like an unstoppable bullet train that runs through the whole Bible. It's already at pretty good speed by the time it gets to Jonah. Jonah tries to say no, but does that derail it? No, it just multiplies it. Jonah runs and gets on the wrong boat, and the whole sailing crew just ends up being saved and brought into grace. Jonah's worried that God's going to save some people in Nineveh. Ends up the entire city, we see in the end, from the greatest to the least, is saved. And Jonah hates this. But the whole point is that no human plan can thwart this thing. No human weakness can stop it. God saves an entire city using one weak and disorderly man, and that is power. We don't know how passionately Jonah spoke, but it strikes me that he kind of goes slightly reluctantly. It's very hard to read his heart. I doubt his sermon was anything spectacular. God saved thousands through it. 
We think God needs us to be strong and mighty, that he needs us to be godly and talented. He needs us to be wise and wonderful for people to come to faith. Instead, God saves thousands in Nineveh with a reluctant, grumpy stranger. If there was ever a proof text in the Bible that evangelism lies, the power for evangelism lies with God and not with us, then it's Jonah. And this gives us confidence to go and tell people, even if we think we're no good at it. We have a powerful message to the lost people of this world to repent and believe the good news. Am I telling us that we need to go to Iraq tomorrow? Not necessarily. All I'm telling us is that we need to go out and share this message of grace without exception to everyone. The gospel is free. Let's share it. And, you know, the runaway success of God's grace just continues throughout the whole Bible as these stories of grace just mount up, you know, to the most unlikely people, spoken through the most unlikely people. And eventually we reach Jesus in the New Testament as the centerpiece of the Bible. And here is the most gracious man who ever lived. He had a call to go from God as well. God told Jesus to go from heaven to reach a hostile people, just like he told Jonah to go from Israel to reach a hostile people. The difference is Jesus didn't run. Jesus came to this world of rebellious people, and he loved them. He taught them. He taught us to repent and believe. And where Jonah was filled with anger, Jesus was filled with compassion. Where Jonah was filled with thoughts for himself, Jesus was only filled with thoughts for others. Where we're filled with thoughts of prejudice, Jesus is just filled with humility. And he says this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And in the end, when Jesus was beaten and crucified, he just said, Father, forgive them. Jesus gave up his life for his enemies so that they could share in the gospel. He came to a hostile world of runaway rebels to give us the gift of grace for free. A second chance for people who need it like you and me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your incredible, wonderful, amazing grace. Please help us to comprehend this grace as a gift given to us by our loving Father from you, not as something we could ever earn. God, please help us to understand that this gift is for all people. We pray that you would help us to go with all our flaws, weaknesses, and failings to boldly go and make disciples of all nations. We pray that you would save cities again, like in the day of Jonah. God, bring yourself glory, we pray, and be gracious to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.